the light that you have now shone or uh, put upon uh, those who are looking after the purists, the fighters, mm -hmm. that light will start now shining on them. Meaning that, you know, the trainers, the handlers, and keep this in mind, wouldn't it be sensible that if, if a person, if a fighter fails a drug test, then the entire team should also be banned. Not, not just a one. He's yeah. not doing it to him. He, he can't be doing it to himself. He can't be administering himself. Sure. He has to have handlers. Sure. So if a man is banned, it shouldn't be the boxer. It should be the entire team with the boxer. Okay. Back in the day, I was the poster boy for drug tests. Mm -hmm. Okay. You could have the drug test before or after the fight. I had it before and after every fight because you cannot have anyone mm, could there be anything dodgy going on with him so I made sure that I was complete no one can ever ever put that charge against me because they will and they do and they have done with Connor but I say to you that there's something that doesn't uh, feel right about it if you've spoken to Connor, you know that he is a And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where we have one less fighter amongst our ranks after Connor handed his license back. Um, who knows how, who knows why, but this is starting to leave a terrible taste in the mouth. And it's looking like a, a fight that didn't need to happen at a time and opportunity when it probably shouldn't have happened but let's go into that because there's a lot to talk about here there's a lot of stuff that's distasteful but then there's also a lot of stuff that we don't know and so this is aggravating the situation in high level terms let's start with what what seems to be the most egregious part of this eddie hearn does a press tour you know you know he does his press rounds before a fight and so he's got the media there, right? He's got talk sport. He does his time with Laura Woods in the morning. Now, I don't see the point of of those sorts of interviews. And that, you know, generally speaking, Laura Woods has her lane. And Laura, I, I, I find her entertaining. But it's very, very hard to, to take that credibility seriously when she has to hold accountable the man that helps pay her bills. I always thought that was problematic. The fact that it's Laura Woods asking Eddie Hearn tough questions, knowing that she would have probably been doing something on Ben Eubank fight night. So I don't think she can ask those kinds of questions. She, and so no one on TalkSport has asked any of the questions that matter of Eddie Hearn. And he's been on there often enough for people to ask really basic questions and they fail to do so. He also managed to spend time with the print media. And to be honest with you, who, who even reads that stuff anymore? No one. And that's why you find guys like Gareth A. Davis buck dancing for people like Coogan Cassius and, you know, the other guys. That's why he's in front of every camera. I mean, his Zoom subscription must be insane. He he will do anything to remain relevant in boxing because print media is dead. We don't care about print media anymore. So he's done all of these rounds. He's done your IFLs, your ID boxes. He's done everything. 
And he's telling us a hearing's got to happen. And he's telling us that there's a process to go through this, that, and the third. What he hasn't told us is Conor Ben's relinquished his license. So clearly the board see what's happening. And the board then go, well, hold on. Hold on one second. We're not going to have this guy going out there spinning this, right? So we're going to hit you with some facts. That's what the board did. The board said, this guy's disrespecting us. This guy's really trying to test us. So, okay, we will give the public facts. And to summarize the board's position. So essentially, according to the board, on the 17th of October, a, meet, a hearing was called for Conor Ben to answer a charge of misconduct. And I think the hearing was meant to be held on October 21st. And on October 21st, what, what Conor Ben said was, I'm voluntarily relinquishing my British Boxing Border Control license. He gave his license up. Now, he's come out and said his license had lapsed, maybe. No idea when, how, why. But roll back to fight week and just after fight week when he was telling us he'd do whatever he had to do to clear his name. And Eddie was out in the media going, there's a process. Well, so two things have happened. One was Eddie was telling us there's a process they have to go through. Never told us what that process was, right? Then he said that there's a, a legal case happening. Both can't be happening at the same time. Well, definitely not against the same body. So... Because he was never clear about the process that Conor Ben was subject to, and if you listen to previous episodes, at that point he wasn't subject to any because neither UCAD or the British Boxing Board of Control recognised VADA. VADA is recognised by people in boxing who are not basically the board, which is weird. Why would you pay all that money for that? And... And so it can't be that there's a UCAT process because at that time there wasn't. So what was the process then? And what's the process now? And now he's talking about there was a process that wasn't followed in getting the fight postponed. It's like, but you weren't talking about that just after fight week. You weren't even talking about that process during fight week. And it's almost like Hearn is so exhausted by lying. And there, there, was, there was some half-truths in there. And, you know, people can say, oh, you can't call him a liar. Maybe I can't call him a liar. But what I can say is none of this rings true. None of what Eddie Hearn says rings true. It's almost like, and he did this with Laura Woods. So Laura Woods would ask a very simple question. What's happened with the B sample? And Eddie talked for about a minute and a half about lawyers and processes and scientists didn't tell us whether Connors asked for the B sample. The only time he spoke on the B sample was, it might have been with, I don't even know which channel it was, was it Boxing UK? And he said, look, I expect the B sample to come back positive too, which is a damning indictment. So Hearn's done all of this. And people talk about how he's good with the media. So someone explained to me why he didn't tell you Connor had relinquished his license on the previous Friday. And none of this he, he can't have possibly known. Maybe Connor didn't tell him. 
they have a, a promotional agreement. And part of that promotional agreement is you will be deemed competent to box. And that competence is normally determined by having a board license. It's not fatal if you don't, but you've got to let your promoter know as part of the contract if there's a material change in your circumstances. Relinquishing your license is a material change in your circumstances. So Connor would have told Eddie, and Eddie would have known. And so Eddie kept this from all of these outlets that he claims to want to help. And that's why the board had to step in. And the board said, well, no, no, no. It's not like he's telling you. We put the graft in. We're, we're going through this because here's, here's a logistical challenge. Vada were the body that found the, the clomiphene, the clomid, not UCAD. And we'll come on to that later. Vada found it, which then means they have to notify UCAD. Now, UCAD then have to say to Conor Ben, do you want us to look at the B sample? And then Vada will say, okay, we will supply you with the B sample and you can have it tested with your people watching. So all of this stuff needs to happen. It's complicated. Like, I don't get why he didn't just hold his hands up and say, it was in me. It's a strict liability offence. I cop it on the basis of strict liability. I am responsible for what goes into my body. Somewhere along the line, I've made a mistake. I can't even tell you where, when, how or why. But I want the sport to remain clean. So I hold my hands up and I'll take the ban. If Conor Ben had done that, I imagine he'd be boxing by Easter. If he had just done that. But now you've got a legal process, you've got this process, you've got that process, you've got lawyers, you've got scientists, you've got this, you've got that. You have nothing. They're not doing anything. Because you'd essentially be... This is absolutely insane. And this is, a, this is examples of, of Hearn thinking he's cleverer than everybody else. And suddenly realizing that the landscape he dealt with in the Dillian White situation no longer exists. And we'll come on to that in a second. But let's, let's kind of break down the big chunks of what we know and understand. If you're asking me why Conor Ben gave up his license, it's very simple. As long as you're licensed by a competent body in any field in life, you are subject to their disciplinary grievance and appeals processes, right? That's what you're subject to. So in the case of being a board licensee or board license holder, you have to go through the board's process, generally speaking. You also have to go through the UCAD process in the event of any adverse findings. And if there are any disputes about this, both parties have appeals. And if they don't work, you go to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, normally. That's normally the process people follow. That can be a cycle time of a year. That can be one year minimum. And you can't, you can't walk into a courtroom before you've exhausted that process. Not only that, but you can't challenge the rulings on the substance. You can only challenge the rulings on the form. So they would have had to have omitted or ignored something that was material to the case that if it were included, 
would have changed the outcome reached. But I can't challenge whether, whether it's a yes or a no. I can't challenge whether it's a ban or not a ban. What I can challenge is anytime the board ignore relevant information or don't follow their own process. That's it. But to do that, I have to go through their grievance process, their appeals process, and the Court of Arbitration for Sport. By giving up his license, Conor Ben's not bound by that. He's now a civilian. And he can choose to sue Varda as Conor Ben, the citizen, the former boxer, and he could choose to sue UCAD, the board, whoever, as Conor Ben, the former boxer, without having to go through their internal process because he's no longer bound by that. That's the only reason you'd give up your license, is so you can go straight to the courtroom if you need to. And what that means is that shortens the time. And what they'll now try and do, I imagine, is find the basis on which to to either threaten litigation or start the process of litigation. And you can, and the most likely parties to this will be VADA, right? And then also the board. So you'd go after VADA, you'd say, you know, theoretically, you know, Eddie Hearn's trying to say that the sample was contaminated. That's what he's saying, by the way. The sample was contaminated by VADA is what he's saying. He's not even saying there was contamination from a supplement. He's not saying that. He's saying the sample was contaminated in the lab. In the lab. Let that sink in. VADA, the Voluntary Anti-Doping Authority, the, the, the lab run, well, set up by Victor Conte over a decade ago. Those guys are going to mess up? Really? The, the one body that's catching everybody in combat sport. The body that caught Dillian, the body that caught uh, Povetkin, the body that caught uh, Kovalev, the body that caught Conor Ben. That's the one that's messing up. That's the one that hasn't got good processes. Unlike UCAD and USADA, who seemingly let everyone pass because they're like, we don't want to test too much, guys, because we wouldn't want to catch anybody. <clears throat> right? I'm supposed to believe it's Varda who messed up. And here's why there's a problem with that. Varda used wider accredited labs. So the same labs that USADA use, RUSADA, UCAD, whoever, VADA will use the same labs. There's only a handful of them globally that can, can do what we need them to do. So the idea that somehow they're using substandard equipment and processes is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. If ever we were going to say there is a body that we trust when it comes to anti-doping, it is VADA because they catch you. They catch you. You know who doesn't seemingly catch anyone? UCAD, apart from Liam Cameron, who they gave four years to. They gave Liam Cameron four years. And there wasn't this dog and pony show around, maybe it was contaminated. There was none of that. But so... So that would be it. You'd go after Vada saying, you guys contaminated the sample. You cost me money against Eubank. That's one possible line. 
you then go to the board and say, you guys didn't follow your own processes in determining whether this fight happens or not. And in postponing the fight, you didn't follow your own precedent, your own principle, and you've cost me money. They're the two avenues you can go down if you're Conor Ben. The board one's easier to litigate because it's in the UK. The, the Vida one, they're not here. So it's hard. So that's one of the reasons you'd give up your license. The second reason you give up your license could be the board just said, you know what, mate, if you give up your license for a year, reapply, we'll look, on it, we'll look at it then on its facts. And the facts would be that he would have been banned, he would have had his B sample tested, the misconduct thing will go away, all this sort of stuff, and he can just reapply as normal after a year. Which would be what, you, that would be the, what I call the handshake outcome. The one that everyone's happiest with. You step away for a year. You don't fight in that time. You're not licensed, so you can do what the hell you want in terms of cooking on hot sauce or not cooking on hot sauce. The choice is yours. But because you're not a license holder, you can do what you want. It will be tricky for the board to allow you to fight on someone else's ticket because they were funny about Umar Sadiq doing it. And they've been funny about other boxers trying to box on foreign licenses with an intention of coming back here to then fight on a board show. So that's going to be tricky. So I can see that being the thing of, look, step down for a year, let all of this go away, and we'll just carry on as normal. Yeah? And all you'll hear subsequent to that is, yeah, it was only a trace amount. It wasn't a big deal. We're making a big fuss about everything here, but it wasn't that big a deal. It was trace amounts. Let's all move on. That's where Hearn will be a year from now. Let's all move on. No one was banned. No one was found to have done anything. And then we'll still be asking, where's the B sample? You know, Porky will be on there going, where's Connor Ben's B sample? You know, that's where we'll be. And I imagine if you were to give me a probability, I'd say that's the more likely outcome. We won't see Connor Ben in the ring till about July, August next year. And, you know, he'll come back and he'll do an interview with Gareth A. Davis or whoever Eddie puts in front of him and he'll cry and he'll say how hard it's been and, like, he was lost for about three months because all he ever wanted to do was box. You know, he'd coped with the pressure of being his father's son. You, you hear all of this stuff. You'll hear it all. For what, though? For public sympathy. And then you get people on Twitter going, give him another chance. Give him a second chance. That's what you're going to get. Spencer Oliver will come up and go, look, the kid's been through enough. Tony Bell, you will say he's only a young boy. He's learning on the job. You know, he just, he just wants to be quiet, Connor, you know, be around his family. Just let him be. You'll get Darren Barker going, he ain't done nothing wrong. He ain't been convicted of anything. That's what these guys will all say. And they'll make you out to be the bad guy for going, I think this guy cheated. That's what they'll say. They'll say, I think this guy cheated and then tried to weasel his way out for no other reason than to preserve his economic value. And most boxing fans would have been cool with him just holding his hands up going, look, the rules are if it's in your body, you're guilty. I hold my hands up. It's in my body. What more do you want me to do? There's no why. There's no, I don't know what the answer is. Let's just move on. And I think the public will be receptive to that. But I just want to come back and touch on this misconduct charge. Um... I forget which regulation it is in the board's rule book, but it might be regulation 25, where, it's article 5, whatever it is, 
where the board make it very clear that they can. I mean, they can hold any one of their license holders subject to a misconduct charge in any situation where you're essentially bringing the sport into disrepute. And there's no question Conor Ben's done that. But if he's done that, can you tell me how Eddie Hearn escapes a misconduct charge? Can you tell me how Kyle Sowland escapes a misconduct charge? Maybe Cali doesn't hold a UK board license, and that may explain it. But Eddie Hearn does. Why is he not subject to this? Or are we going to find out Eddie Hearn doesn't hold a board license? Are we going to find out Hearn actually holds, I don't know, a Gibraltar board license? Or a Bieber board license? I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But I find it strange that Connor would go and no one else does. But part of me, in all of this, would have been happier if the board had just said, we're not going to sanction, we're going to remove the licenses of everyone involved in that camp. I would have been happier with that. Just take everyone's license away from that camp and say, there's, there's too much here for us to get our heads around. So while we do an inquiry into all of this, you guys all have to step down. All right, so let, let me just pause for air, God. And let's just summarize everything, right? Just so you guys understand right now, as you listen to this, where we're at right now. The, the protagonists in all of this have known about this failed drug test for about six weeks. We still don't know if there've been other drug tests, by the way. No one can confirm this is the only one. It's a very simple question that Eddie Hearn could answer. Has Conor Ben only failed one test? That's the question. And no one's asking that. We want to know how many tests has this guy failed because we're hearing two, could be more, could be less. So that, relinquishing your license, not being part of the WBC clean boxing program, well, the list goes on. Not renewing your license, all of these things that seem to have happened around Conor Ben don't suggest a professional with a good team around him who would be able to make sure this guy's always ready to fight. It seems like they were always hoping to get away with something. And now that it's all kind of imploded and collapsed, everyone's scrambling. And so here's where it's different from Dillian White. And it's down to one man, Guy Williamson. When they made Guy Williamson chairman of the British Boxing Board of Control, it brought in real legal muscle. So Guy is a criminal barrister. Don't ask me how many years. It could be 30 years call, could be 25 years. Don't know. But it's, it's a long, long time. He's been a criminal barrister for a long time. He was a policeman before that. So you've got a guy on the inside now who, when the lawyer letters come in, you're not scared anymore because he'll fire one off going, well, no, we, we can contest all of this. So all of a sudden, the board aren't running scared. The board aren't over a barrel because you've got Guy and whatever Guy doesn't know, he can find out he's got that network. Guy Williamson was a 1985 ABA champion, so he has currency in the sport. He was one of the early super heavyweight champions in the amateurs. 
He's a contemporary of Nigel Benn. They were doing the ABA rounds the same, in the same generation. So he knows Nigel or knows of him. Boxing's a really small world. Everyone kind of knows each other. So this is going to be a very, very hard thing to resolve because they've now got that, that legal and that intellectual muscle that says, right, we can sort this. And I imagine what's happened is they've consulted their chairman and the chairman said, here's how I think we can do it. And I'm sure he's tested it out with people who know much more about this than you and I. And so that seems to be the difference, because if you notice, unlike the Dillian one, the board aren't rolling over. And the board is strategically issuing communications so that the public understand. And they've, I think the board have grasped that they were losing these battles with Hearn because Hearn could go straight to the media and get the traction. So the board know, once they issue a statement, it will spread. Yeah, The internet will do its work for them. And then their story is out there and it makes it uncomfortable for Hearn. As long as they keep the pressure on Hearn to answer a lot of these questions and Conor Ben to answer these questions, the board are doing their job. In the meantime, they found him to be accountable for misconduct. We don't know what the punishment for that will be. There can't be a punishment because he doesn't hold a license. But they may say, look, when you reapply for your license, we've got to talk about this punishment. We'll see how that goes. But I do like how the board was smart enough to get Guy in to just provide that, that legal veneer to all of these sorts of situations. The big gap, I think, and here's, here's where we've gone wrong. There are no clear rules on this. And there should have been. So after the Dillian White thing, there should have been clear rules of the road. The board should have said, anyone that fails an A sample from UK or VADA, any competent testing authority, is immediately suspended pending the results of the B sample. Immediately suspended. Once you test positive on an A sample, you shouldn't be allowed to box. That should be in the rules. The board need that in their rules. And if the B sample is then also positive for a banned substance, you're suspended pending the hearing. And if you're found guilty in the hearing, you're banned. It shouldn't be this, well, yeah, they're still investigating so he can still fight. No, you are suspended. You cannot box in a British ring. That's step one. Clear rules on that. They should be, we should all know the process because it should be in the rules which are on their website. Why that hasn't happened, I don't know, but hopefully that will now happen because it will just keep making the board look stupid. You know, you want rules to take immediate effect. If you test positive, that is it. That is the trigger to your suspension. doesn't matter how, why, when, whatever. That can be investigated, but you're suspended meanwhile because we've got to keep boxing safe. I'm surprised Matchroom don't have clear rules on this. Just clear business rules. Guys, tell, and this should be in every fighter's contract, right? If you do fail a drug test, you will be suspended. Your contract with us will be suspended pending the B sample, pending the theory and whatever. Not hard to do. Why don't they do this? Because they know it happens so often. And my theory on this is this has happened before. And if they were to introduce these rules, someone's going to dig up the cases where it's been overlooked. Now, I don't know if it was overlooked for Joshua Molina. That would be a really good question to ask. But obviously, this isn't without precedent. What, what I find really, really strange, actually, is 
When Jarrell Miller popped, there was no talk of the fight going ahead. Miller was thrown out and a new opponent was thrown in. So I suspect if Eubank Jr. had failed, the fight would have been off. That's what I think. The fight would have been off if Eubank Jr. had failed. And there's also a question of what's the point of UCAD? We haven't interrogated UCAD. As boxing fans, we've gone after Hearn because I think it's just personal, to be honest. But no one's gone after UCAD and said, well, why are they catching everyone and you're not? Why is it that you've caught Ryan Martin, Eric Molina, and maybe Philip Bowes at a push? But they're guys that we don't care about. How have you not caught any of the guys we care about? Are you trying not to? Is that what this is all about? Because I suspect with, with Vada, Vada get paid, right? They get paid to do the testing for a defined camp. So they can align that to their cost structure. UCAD don't. UCAD get central funding. And so UCAD are there going, we really don't want to catch premiership footballers, top-level cricketers, top-level rugby players, top-level boxers. We don't want the aggravation that comes with that. That's probably their strategic aims to avoid all of that. So they get annoyed when someone is so careless as to do something like this. They're just like, oh, for God's sake. Because it's just more hassle for them. But we haven't asked UCAD, why is it that whatever it is you're using to test doesn't seem to be as good as VADA's? How, how are we not aligning those test parameters? And we know that the reason you got VADA in, Eddie, was you had no confidence in UCAD. You thought it was only the foreign boxers that were cheating and you didn't think the board could do a good enough job because the board can only test you once you're under its auspices, right? So Vida was meant to catch people, foreigners in Eddie's mind, who were cheating abroad then coming over here and beating his guys. That's what he thought was happening, not realizing the doping was happening amongst his own stable too. Then Vida became an inconvenience. When Vida was catching his guys, it became an inconvenience. All that anti-doping stuff he used to talk about and used to love talking about was great until it was his guys. And now he's like, oh, well, what do I do? That's why he doesn't talk much about doping and he doesn't even want to. But we have to ask questions of you, Cad, because if you go back a decade, almost to the day, Eric, Mor Eric Morales popped for put for Clembuterol, like when he was meant to fight Danny Garcia. And they allowed the fight to carry on. USADA just let the fight happen. And a lot of the stuff said then is being said now. Bob Aram was like, this is ridiculous. But what's happened over time is they've all realized everyone's at it. Everyone's at it. And let's not forget that what happened with the, with the Fury cousins. That should never be forgotten. Because, you know, we can say what we want in the media, but a lot of people had strong views about Tyson Fury back then who are holding different views about Conor Ben. It's ridiculous. We, we need all of this firmed up so we know for certain if someone's done for cheating, they have to prove their innocence. Because here's the difference. Doping's not like a criminal offense where I have to establish that you intended to do it. 
Doping is a strict liability offence. With the stuff's in your system, you are guilty. So when Eddie says, what happened to innocent until proven guilty? It's like, well, no. Conor Ben is guilty until proven innocent. That's how strict liability works. Those are the only sort of offences where you can say someone's guilty until proven innocent. Another example is pollution. So if a company pollutes into the River D or the River Tyne, just the act of doing that is guilt. Now, they may say the pipe broke, but you still have to go through the, the process of establishing, well, okay, we did this, but it wasn't our fault. But you are guilty until you go prove your innocence because you're not supposed to have that in your body and you do. So you are guilty. So when people say you got to wait for the results of the hearing, no, I don't. I don't, right? All that matters in anti-doping is the results of the A sample and the results of the B sample. That is all that matters because they're the things that are as close to fact as anything else. All the other stuff, contamination, this, that, and the third, it's all conjecture. So all that stuff Eddie's telling you is all conjecture. Here are the facts. There's an A sample that has clomiphene in it, and there's a B sample that 99.999% likely has clomiphene in it. That is guilt. That is guilt. Whether he knowingly took it is not a defense. Whether it was, that, that's not a defense. His only defense is he took something that should have been X, but turned out to be Y. So now what Conor Ben's got to do is go through his whole list of supplementation. And they've got to go and find corresponding batches of that to find clomiphene in it. And that all has to be independently tested. There are companies that do that. They test supplements independently. But he can't, he, it has to be from the batch that he purchased from. So if he's had the thing for like a year and a half, He's in a dark place. Now, you think about being a supplement company. You don't want your brand associated with contamination. That's bad for your business. Right? You don't want your brand associated with contamination. So these companies are like, you better not mention our name, Connor Ben. Like, we're clean. So when you go to the, so the scientists will have to go and they'll say, look, neutral, whatever. We found clomiphene. They'll be like, hell no. You can't have done. No way. And they'll show you all of their accreditations that say that their lab is almost perfect. And they'll say, this can't happen. We don't even manufacture clomiphene in here. That's the only way that it could be cross-contaminated. We don't. We only manufacture X. So they've got to go through this whole process, which I don't think, I, I just don't think they'll find anyone because... You don't find cases of clomid being, what do you call it, contaminating us. It just, it doesn't make sense. I'll, I'll come back to the point I made early on. If you're going to pop for something, and if you take clomid, you're probably going to pop for something. If you're going to pop for something, you may as well just make it as potent as you can. And clomiphene is not the most potent thing Conor Ben could have taken. It's not. It's that whole adage of, if you're going to get five years for possessing a gun, you may as well get the best fucking gun you can get. Because you're going to get your five years, whether it's a, 
I don't even know, like a a refurbed gun. Like, I mean, a rebore. Whether it's a rebore or you just bought it clean off some crazy uh, person from wherever, right? It's not start naming names. I'll get, I'll get cancelled. But it doesn't make a difference. You may as well get the best thing you can because you're going to serve the same, same time anyway. It's the same with doping. You wouldn't take something that's for, for, for boosting testosterone or anything like that. Clomid's cool if you're older. But if you're young and in the prime of your health, it doesn't make any sense. And then people will say, well, look at these UCAD tests, this date and that date. You've got to establish what the UCAD tests were trying to do and what their thresholds and parameters were. It may turn out that UCAD was doing stuff that was wholly ineffective and Team Bennett figured out how to defeat the UCAD system, but not the VADA system. I don't know. None, none of us know. But we know VADA caught them. Yeah, and remember when Canelo failed for was it clenbuterol? He went from something like zero point six nanograms per milliliter to zero point zero six nanograms per milliliter in three days. In three days, ninety ninety percent was it ninety percent? Probably yeah, ninety percent of that clenbuterol was out of his system in three days. That's why the second test was called trace amounts. So it all depends on when you test. If Vardar had done two tests two days in a row, what would the numbers have read? So this idea that it was trace amounts was insignificant isn't true. They thought they'd cleared whatever they were taking. They thought they were good to go. And clearly what's happened is whatever his metabolism's done, it hasn't got rid of the stuff in time. And he got caught on that. And if you can do like a half-life analysis to work out, or actually, when do we think he would have got to peak dose and work backwards from that and then go, okay, was he tested at this point? The answer's probably not. And then you say, where was he? He was probably somewhere that wasn't the UK. No coincidence. I, I do, I agree with Eubank Sr. when he says, if the box is found guilty, the whole team should be, all, all of them should be banned. The trainer should be banned. His gym should be shut down if he owns the gym. The other fighters in the gym should be banned. Everyone should be banned because otherwise we're not going to take anti-doping seriously. Yeah? If we keep bending and I mean, bowing and scraping to the, to the cash cows. We're not going to take this seriously. So I do. I, I would happily just ban everybody that's associated with Everyone that's linked to this, I'd ban. Because we're either serious about doping or we're not. Now, everyone knows my position. Morally, I just think, whatever. If you can do it, do it. If you get away with it, get away with it, whatever. I don't have... I don't have strong views one way or the other because I've seen it so much and I know how deep it is in the sport. You're not going to get rid of it. The testers don't have the resources to do so. Yeah, I think Linus Adofi gave an interview where in 18 fights he's been tested three times. I think they're all for title fights. Never been tested out of camp. Nothing like that. So, 
if the pros aren't getting tested often enough for it to be a deterrent, what's the point? That's all I can ask you. What is the point? But if you do fail, there should be clear rules of the road. You should be banned. Your trainer should be banned. Your manager should be banned. They should, all licenses should just be removed immediately pending the investigation. You can't be trusted. None of you can be trusted. And what that will do is it will force boxing trainers to get rid of these strength and conditioning guys. It will force boxing trainers to get rid of these doctors. Everybody seems to need a doctor now. But you have a GP. GP's not good enough. Oh, we need a specialist doctor. I bet you do. So this is an absolute mess. Though you could have had sympathy for Conor Bent at the point where he said, look, I'm going to clear my name. I'm going to go through whatever hoops I have to go through. And you're like, okay, cool. Let's see how this plays out. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. The instant, let me repeat this, the instant he relinquished his license, that just told me guilt. And the reason it told me guilt is it said, I don't trust their process. It's not going to give me the outcome I want. Not the outcome I deserve, the outcome I want. Therefore, I'm going to do it my way. My lawyers have said, if I relinquish this license, I can go after these guys as a civilian. All right, cool. But I don't see him producing a reasonable explanation as to why this has happened. I just don't. And I don't see boxing fans buying anything he says at this point. There'll be the, the simps, the beaters, the, the girlfriends who will tell you, oh my God, it's just a mistake or you got to let the process, or they'll, they'll do all of that stuff. You know, the sort of people who, when the fight kicks off, they're in the corner tying their shoelaces and they'll tell you, I'll be there in a minute. No marks in their face. They'll go and tell their girlfriend, yeah, we had a fight tonight, man. Look at me, not a mark on my face. Try and be the heroes. It's embarrassing. The media has been embarrassing in all of this. Not one person has asked Eddie really obvious questions because all you want from her are details, right? So if I'd had that media day yesterday, I'd have said, can you tell us what happened in the 36 hours after you found out from Vada that the test was positive? Who knew? And what were the conversations that were happening? Don't tell us the details. Just tell us who spoke to who. Also tell us, when did the board start saying, I don't know if this fight can go ahead? When did they first say that? You know, Eddie, when did you first ask the board for a hearing? When did you say, look, pass this on to UCAD, UCAD do their thing. Can we do this all in a week? When did all, we, we want a clear timeline and what happened? Because none of this is making any sense. The board need this because the board have to show that they weren't colluding for this fight to happen. Matchroom needs this because he needs Eddie needs to show that he's not trying to disrespect the board. And Conor Ben needs all of this to show that I did everything I could. I, I played by the rules. And Sowland also needs this to show that he wasn't being a money-hungry promoter. This is an absolute disaster. This in all of this, Conor Ben's the person I'm least concerned about because. Athletes will do what athletes do. If he took a little bit of juice to cheat, that's what happens. That's what athletes do. And they sit in changing rooms and they laugh about it because they're like, I can't believe I got away with that. But they're all at it, so they all know. 
You know, no one talks about how John Ryder's voice has changed so much in the last two or three years. Just saying. You know, how's he gone from having a quite a light, chirpy Camden accent to literally sounding like he came, he, he, I mean, he came out the womb of Sasquatch. But no one asks questions about that. It's not a red flag to anyone unless you know what you're looking for. And that's the problem. A lot of people on Twitter are talking about stuff they don't understand and they don't know. They genuinely don't know, but they want to have an opinion because it gets likes and it gets traction. A lot of people have no idea what they're talking about. That's why Hearn's getting away with it, because no one knows what to ask. But just ask really simple questions. Eddie, instead of just talking at us, let's have a structured discussion where you give details of what you did, because you're not suing anybody from what we understand. Therefore, you should be free to talk about your actions. Forget Connor for a second, because he's the least of the problem here. You are the problem as the main promoter in this. When did you make the decision to pull the fight? And why didn't you make that decision? What are the matchroom rules on failing a drugs test? Let's have all of this out in the open. But no one's brave enough to ask those questions because they all rely on Hearn to make money. That's why a lot of these guys are cockroaches and behave as such. Outlets like this will ask the questions. But they'll never give us the oxygen because they know what would happen. That whole shit show of, a, of an industry, a sport, would collapse because we just lay it bare. But yeah, boxing's in the mud at the moment because this is something you're not going to clean up. The guy at the top tests positive and therefore you know everyone else is likely to be debating that. If they weren't debating it before, they're debating it now. Can I get away with this? Can I take a bit of clomiphene to help my performance? Will that turn me from a 10-round fight to a 12-round fight? A lot of people will be debating. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of boxers are like, yeah, I've been taking clomiphene for ages. No one's going to test me. I'm just a journeyman. Or oh, look, I'm just, just a club fighter. Yeah, we've lost our sport. We're not... We're not going to get that purity back, are we? Because purity doesn't make money. And on that note, let me tap out and say, listen, guys, have a great day, whatever you do. Remember, if you enjoy this episode, like, share, tag all the right people in it. And look, let's keep this discussion moving forward. Take care, guys.